He is risen. Oh woman, why are you crying? He is risen. Lift up your weary head. Our king has conquered death. He is risen. The stone has been rolled away. Nothing could stop his love for us, not even the grave. He is risen, made himself accustomed with pain, suffered for our sake. We should never be the same because death has been tamed. He has risen. He has ascended to the air where the Father made him heir over all things. No, the throne is more than a chair. He is risen over sin, over shame, over fear. He is risen. This much is clear. Love has won. He is risen. Now we can walk in the light, so let's give praise to the sun because he has risen. Wake up, O sleeper. It is a new day. My life is in the hands of the keeper of days. He has risen. All of humanity has been changed because the God of the universe became like us in every way, suffered in our place, came to his own and his own spit in his face. And even as he hung on those wooden beams, he cried out, Father, give him grace. He has risen to show that nothing could stop his pursuit of us. And if you're struggling to understand his love, that makes two of us, but he didn't come here to make sense. He came to make old things new, to resurrect our hearts so we can walk in his true church. He is risen. If you haven't picked up a tone of celebration yet this morning, I don't know how to help you. Uh, we are joining with a billion people around the world who are celebrating not just what happened, but how and why it happened. Like the, the motivation behind this is staggering. Jesus chose to go to a cross, one of the most gruesome ways to die, and it's fair to ask the question, why would he do that? I assumed uh, most of my life that this was just an understood thing. Um, and then I graduated from college and I moved uh, into the area and I was looking for a church and I attended a Sunday school class where this very thing was being talked about, which I thought, fantastic, this is something you don't hear talked about very much, this is gonna be great. And someone in the group said they thought that Jesus was acting like a suicidal person. Now, I'm a visitor, like I'm a visitor in their little class, and I thought, I'll let the locals handle this, right? They should be able to deal with this pretty quickly, but it didn't take long until all of the people in that classroom were saying, yeah, Jesus didn't seem to be right. He seemed to have kind of a suicidal mindset, and that's what he was kind of moving through his life with. Now, I, I know I'm a visitor, but I decided it was time to offer an alternative view. And I, I offered an alternative idea into the class, and they all started arguing with me. Like, they started pushing back. I'm 21. I have not yet developed a chill-it mode, right? <laughs> so I didn't chill. And I pushed back vigorously. And it was quite, it was quite, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Now listen, you can't argue that Jesus didn't know where his life was headed. 
You can't even argue that he didn't take meaningful steps in that direction. But what we're talking about is the most important moment in the history of the world. See, up to this point, everybody's story ends the same. You go to the grave, you're dead, end of story. You're not connected with God, it's over. That, that was the story of mankind. And Jesus steps into this, and he chooses to die. He gets buried, but he comes back to life. And as soon as he does that, it's the reason we're celebrating today, the story changes. The outcome of what could be written is now different, which means if there's a different future for you, you could have a different now, the way you live right now. But if you believe that the person had a suicidal death wish who was going into this sort of thing, then at best, the story is tragic, accidental, at worst, meaningless. There's no value to it at all. But I'm here to tell you that I think the text reveals the heart of Jesus as for why he did this. And I want to take you there this morning. I want to show you that through things that were said, things that were done, the timing of things that, uh, as they unfolded, were opportunities for Jesus to reveal his heart. And when you see it, I believe it will create a sense of awe in you that will call for some action on your part. That's what I'm hoping for. Uh, I want to start uh, exploring this by looking at a section of Scripture this is a prayer that Jesus prayed. It's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, they all have this same prayer. And, uh, and it records kind of the beginning of where this is, uh, of where we're starting anyway. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. The, there's no crowd there to arrest him yet. He's by himself. He's made time to pray. And he prays this prayer. This is out of Luke 22. This is for 42. Father... If you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. You can grab two obvious things out of here really fast. One, he was open to some alternative ideas. Like, if you got a different way to solve this problem, I'm in. Like, I, I know what's coming down the road, and I'd rather not. But the second thing that's obvious is that this is going to be an act of the will. It's going to be a choice. It's going to be a choice of whose will gets followed. Because if Jesus could find an alternative way, he would do it. If he was offered one, he would do it. But if his father says, I want this from you, then by his will, he would choose to step into it. So the question is, is there anywhere we can identify where Jesus makes an act of the will to do this, to pursue this, this death, this burial, this resurrection? If we want details, we've got to head to John. Uh, the book of John has nine chapters that are the last seven weeks of Jesus' life. Four of those are when he's resurrected. So there's a lot of information here in those three weeks that leads up to all of this stuff. A lot of information that the other gospels don't include. 
And part of that is in the garden where Jesus prays a much longer prayer, has more details. The other gospels don't record it, but John does. And something interesting gets said and done here. This is chapter 17, verse 1. He starts and says, Father, the hour has come. It's no longer, do you want me to do this or not? Is there another way around this? The time has now come. I know what has to be done. I've not been given the other out, so I'm in. Listen to his prayer. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. Now, to understand this, you have to add the second verse. The second verse in this, he says, For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Jesus, realizing that the Father has asked him to do this, asked for one thing. Will you glorify me? For, for what purpose? So that he could be puffed up? So that he could look good? So that he... No so that I could give glory to you. And if you follow, if you track the verse there, the glory that comes to the Father is done by him giving eternal life to every other person who wants it. Like, if, if you want it, I'm going to offer it. I'm going to die so that it's an offering out to you. And right here, this is the plan. I know that I've got to die. I know I've got to be buried because resurrection's coming. Even in his early prayers, he understands that the outcome of salvation for mankind is at stake. He knows it. See, he wasn't just targeting death. The whole process was on his mind. And the outcome was serious. He knows it from the start. He knows what he's doing and he knows why he's doing. He knows how this, high the stakes are. And the only question is, how will he respond? Will he try to exercise his will or will he follow the will of the Father and reveal that anywhere? Well, things really pick up steam in John chapter 18. The mob shows up. Judas is there. Pharisees are there. You got some officials some, um, with a temple. You've got some soldiers. You got a pretty big group. And look what happens. Look what happens. I love this. This is verse 4 of chapter 18. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen, went out. He did not wait for them to search him, he went to them. He went right up to them. You don't have to look for me. You don't have to search for me. I'm not hiding in some cave. Let's do this. And he asked them, who is it that you want? Now they answer in verse 5, Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. Jesus responds back, I am he. And Judas the traitor was standing there with him. So he's, he's just being as direct as he can with them. What happens next is is kind of odd. I want to read it to you. This is verse 6. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Ah! Now, it does not record that there's yelling. I guarantee you there was. There was yelling. Now, you have to ask yourself, why is that in there? 
I mean, it's almost, it's almost anime-ish, where you see an, uh, like an anime character speak with such ferocious volume that it bowls people over. Except this is ancient Israel. That's weird. Like, what's up with the clown town and the overdramatic? You know, like, what's happening here? I think that Jesus didn't just think this was happening. He knew it would and wanted it to. Now, we got to get this right. What I just read in verse 5 and 6 is not actually what Jesus said. That has been translated for us into English, and it's been smoothed over to make sure that we understand it. The problem is they weren't speaking to English people. They were speaking to religious Jews when he said this. And every early manuscript agrees that, that he said the same thing. And this is what he actually said. I am. That was his answer. I am. Now, if you understand some Jewish history, you know this is a problem. Back in Exodus chapter 3, Moses is being recruited by God. Come on, team God, let's go get Israel out of Egypt. Let's do this. And Moses is just dragging his feet all over all kinds of things. got all kinds of excuses. Th this is one of the discussions that he has. In verse 13 of chapter 3, it says, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? I'm asking for a friend. Right? That's kind of what he's saying. I'm asking for a friend. I want to know. The people worshiped all kinds of gods in the ancient world. He's just trying to figure out which one you are. The answer God gives is very different. Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. I don't have a name. I have character. I have values. What you see me do, what you hear me say, what you, what you witness from me is who I am. There's no division. There's no separation. I am who I am. It was because of this answer that a Jewish person would never say, I am, because it's how God identified himself. And yet, Jesus just did. In their culture, this was something that was worthy of death, which is kind of interesting because back in the garden, Jesus has a problem. It's clear that the Father has asked him to move forward with his plan that he's going to die. But how do you justify killing somebody who's perfect? What are you going to dig up? You're not. In fact, the best that you could do is to make something up, which is what they did at first. They made up some stuff. But do you remember how Pilate responded to that? I find no fault with this guy. Like, I, I can't find anything wrong. Of course you can't. He's perfect. He's got a problem. See, even in the ancient world, the fact that they didn't like him or even hated him was not enough of a reason to kill somebody. So Jesus provides them with the motivation that they needed to get the job done by saying, I am. By the way, 
What he said was true. He was God. He could say that all he wanted to. But their eyes were so blind to understand this that as soon as they heard it, they became obsessed with finding some way to kill this guy. Not just made up charges. You know how far these guys would go? This was a group of people who hated Rome. But if you carefully read in the text, they will claim to bow their knee to Caesar for the privilege of being able to see Jesus killed. He was providing them some sort of motivation. And I'll tell you what, it worked. After they fell back, after they screamed, after they're like, they can't believe he said this, they order his arrest and things really fly off the handle then. Because that's when Peter's like, yeah, revolution. He pulls out a sword and starts swinging it around, knocks off a guy's ear. Like, it's about to get crazy. And then Jesus does this. Verse 11 of 18. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? This is clear as it can be. Listen, Pete, I have amped these guys up. I got them where I want them. They're, they're actually going to follow through on this. And I need them to because I don't just need to die. I need to go to the grave. And I don't just need to go to the grave. I need to be resurrected. And I've got to do this for the sake of the glory of my Father and for your sake. And if you stop this right now, you are getting in the way of mankind receiving salvation. I want you to stop. I'm in. This as I read it, as I put all of these things together, this is not the mindset and the actions of a suicidal person. This is the mindset of a person who's on a mission. Have you ever been on a mission where you're like, I am gonna do this, and you set off and nothing, nothing to the left or to the right distracts you. You, you power through, you go, you're gonna do it. You're focused, you're determined. Unfortunately, I, I think I get that way over things that don't matter as much, is what I've discovered. So I've told you um, I get that way uh, with shopping. Like, I, I hate it. Like, they're trying to offer you things you don't need or want, and they're trying to convince you that you do. So I like to go in with a list, I get it, I leave as fast as I can. And I've discovered that this has infected like my whole experience of this. It starts in the parking lot. Like I'll pull in and in five seconds, I'm out of the car because I want to get in, get the stuff and get out. But I shop with somebody who likes to go on an excursion, <laughs> right? You know, it's a feel stuff and smell stuff and she'll talk to people she doesn't know for a long time. Like, well, here's, here's the thing. We're back in the parking lot, right? Five seconds, I've exited the vehicle. It takes her 30 seconds to a minute to leave the car. And I still, to this day, do not know what rituals are going on in there that cause this to happen. Like, I'm on the clock. I'm doing laps around the parking lot. And finally, when she exits, I'm like, I, you know, 
Did you not see the big store in our windshield? Like you could start the ritual. I don't know what it is, but you could start the ritual ahead of time. And she'll be like, I don't like it when you get this way. And I'm like, I get this way all the time. She's like, yeah, that's part of the problem. And, and she's right. She's right. Like, to be that kind of mm, focused, determined, driven on mission over something like that, not worth it. But if there was ever a moment in the history of the world where you would want somebody to be utterly on mission, isn't this the moment? Isn't this the moment where you would want Jesus to go first things first? I I can't have any distractions. I'm gonna step out into this. I'm gonna offer them the motivation to get this done. I'm gonna stop my people from interfering. Why? Because I am on a mission. And if I do this, if I can go to the cross, I can go to the grave, I can come to life again, I will change everything. Let's be really clear here. Jesus was on mission for you. What he had in mind was that he would offer you peace, hope, life, a new story, healing, rescue, It was on his mind. And nothing was going to deter him. Not the fact that he didn't really want to do it either. Not his disciples. Not anything. He was motivated out of love for you. Uh, Band, I'm going to need you up here to help me out in just a few minutes. Which raises for me some important questions. Like if, if he had that kind of purposeful determination to offer you a different story, why have some of you not taken him up on that opportunity yet? Why have you not stepped in to start writing a story that's different than I just die at the end of my life and it's over. So I might as well try to suck out all the things that I want right now. Because what he had in mind was that you, you could come to him and say, listen, I know I've got a mess. And some of you, maybe you haven't come to Jesus yet just simply because you think the mess is too big. He knew exactly what he was doing when he went down that path. He chose it for you. If you think I gotta clean it up, he knew exactly the state you were in right now when he made that choice. Cleaning it up, he'll do that with you. If you're like, hey, I'm just trying to get the most out of life before I would lose all the fun, I'm telling you right now, You're a slave to your desires and to the stuff that goes on in our world that you think you have to do to make you happy. And true freedom, true freedom lies with this Jesus who opens up your life and says, you know what? Your story could have a different ending if you would just come to me. Why haven't you done that yet? Others of you You've made the choice 
At some point in your life, you said, yeah, I'm choosing Jesus. But understand that when Jesus said, I'm trying to find a way to make eternal life available for mankind, if you, if you pay attention, if you go back and read in chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus actually defines that. And we've kind of made it into a heaven-hell thing. That's part of it. But here's the bigger piece. It means that you can have a relationship with God. You can be connected to God right now here in this life. And some of you have made the choice to follow after God, and he's waiting around wondering when you're actually going to run into him again. Why haven't you made time for me? Why can't I give you any kind of instructions on how to live? Like, you've said, I'll, I'll follow you, but I can't find you in my rearview mirror. And it's a choice. See, he opened up this massive amount of freedom for us. By grace, he looked at all the junk in our lives, and he said, I will choose death. I'll choose the grave. Because I know it doesn't end there. It ends when I come back to life, and I give you a different story why aren't you living into that story? If you've decided to be a follower, then follow. Put yourself with him on a regular basis. Let it change your values. Let it change your thinking. Let God and this great gift of grace that he's given you transform who you are. This morning, I hope you'll think, uh, this, the band's going to play a song, and I just hope you'll think about this. Like sometime today, I hope you just make some quiet time for you to interact with God. He created a place for you to have eternal life with him. Will you find some time to give him honor, give him praise, give him glory, because he was motivated out of love for you. And he's worthy of our response. And if you haven't responded to God yet, maybe today's the day. Find that time. What's really stopping you from experiencing that love that he offers?